Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Dan Hart, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, Mark. What a pleasure to be back with you. It's been a long time. Yes. Yeah. Episode 53 you were with us. Uh, the, the title was Find Your Purpose Through Personal Productivity. November 2014, that was. Early, wow. early, early in the podcast. So I, uh, I appreciate you for that, for, for joining me for that session. But, but I'm really excited about this session. Uh, I think this will be a lot of fun. It's, I, I'm looking forward to catching up. But also, I'd, I'd love to learn what you're doing at AIA National and all the other things that you're doing. Uh, with your life these days. So let me introduce you to anybody who may not know who Dan Hart is, but they should. Um, Dan Hart is the Executive Vice President of Architecture, a member of the Board of Directors, and Principal of uh, with Park Hill, located in Texas, New Mexico, and Oklahoma. Based in Austin, Dan has been the Texas Society of Architects President, the American Institute of Architects Strategic Council Moderator, uh, the chair of the Public Outreach Committee and co-chair of the COVID-19 Business Continuity Task Force. Uh, and he is currently the president of AIA National. So way back in episode 53, you were talking about personal productivity and now you're AIA National president. And so I'm really uh, excited to have you on the show here. And, and just for the record, the first AIA National president who accepted my invitation. <laughs> I've been inviting you guys and your women you know, and, and all the women who've been presidents and you're the first one who's accepted my, my invitation. So I appreciate you for coming by here and talking with the community. Well, the honor and privilege is all mine, Mark. I, I had no hesitation when I saw that invitation and really appreciate what you're doing, what this community is doing together. And uh, I think this is really important conversation. So I'm glad to be a part of it. Yeah, I appreciate you for, for coming by. Um, before we jump into that, because I want to talk about AIA National and, and small firms specifically, because that's our community here. Um, but before that, I want to learn more about you as an architect. I want your origin story. So go back to the point in your life where you discovered architecture. What inspired you or who inspired you to, to become an architect and share that story to where we are today? 
Well, I grew up, most of my growing up was in a small rural farming community in North Texas, a town called Seymour, about 3,000 people, uh, wheat farmers primarily. My dad was a pastor at the local church there. And uh, we, we actually, uh, there's another fascinating part to that story. We had evacuated out of Beirut, Lebanon, where he was a missionary, but that's a story for another time. Wow. Um, we'll bring you uh, back for that. Yeah, great. The extended great. version. Great. Um, so I, I went to high school, uh, graduated from high school in this small town. And my, uh, I always want to mention Mr. Aikens, my plain geometry teacher in 11th grade, who um, I don't know what it was about that class that just clicked for me. The, I think it had to do with the logical proofs um, that went along with these precise drawings. And the, the idea that you could capture these abstract ideas in a drawing and that they built one upon another to really um, go deep into philosophy and into uh, describing our world just really captivated me. What grade was that? What's that? What grade was Mr. Aikens? This was 11th grade, Mr. Aikens claimed geometry. Yeah. And the textbook in that class, uh, at the end of each chapter, said if, if there was something about this chapter that shimmered for you, you might consider being a blank. And of, of course, one of those chapters uh, said architect. And there was just something that sort of exploded in my brain. And I couldn't wait. I would, got real fidgety. I couldn't wait for the bell to ring. And as soon as it did, I, I ran to the library. Again, this is a very small rural community, very small school, less than 200 people in my school. Our library had one book on architecture. You know, in those days, Mark, you remember the card catalogs? This I was new looking things up. <laughs> the Dewey Decimal System. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so architecture was toward the front, only one book. Uh, and it was a biography of Frank Lloyd Wright. And so, uh, of course, it was uh, it started with his early story. Small town boy goes to the big city of Chicago, lived his summers with his uncle on a rural farm, in, which influenced dramatically his way of thinking about architecture, organic architecture. He later moved to the big city, his adopted home of Chicago, um, which... In 2014, the same year I talked to you the first time, that's where the AIA conference was in Chicago. Um, and I was elevated to fellow that year. So that Chicago has always been really special to me, um, kind of a mythical faraway place, but just, just this Mecca for architecture. And, and it started innocently enough with that book in that small library in Seymour, Texas. And I read and reread that book so many times. I checked it out so many times. Uh, and apparently in Texas, there's a law that if a book doesn't circulate properly over a period of time, they have to, they have to get that, remove that book from the library and get a different book. And so I think this is probably against the law, but the librarian was a friend of our family's. She couldn't bear to throw that book away, and she gave it to my parents some 15 years later. So wow. I have that book in my I was, library. I was now. just going to ask you if yeah. you still have the book. Yes. I have it. It's just behind me. I can run and get it if, if you want to see it later. But uh, yeah, it's a really special, really special book. And so I went on to do dual degrees in architecture and civil engineering at Texas Tech University um, and actually began practice when I graduated as a structural engineer and worked for four years as structural engineer with Park Hill, the firm that I'm with now, um, and became uh, registered. And just a few weeks after becoming registered, my supervisor, who was a structural engineer, led the structural department, said, Dan, I always know, known you wanted to be an architect, which I always knew I wanted to do. That, that was the path I was on. Uh, but I thought, you know, if I if I don't do structural engineering at the beginning of my career, I may never do it. So it was a great opportunity to practice and get that, uh, excuse the pun, foundation for my <laughs> career. Um, but just a few weeks later, uh, he asked me, are you interested? There's an opening in the architecture. We did both. And there's an opening for a, a graduate architect would you be interested? And I said, I jumped at the chance. I think I moved that same day to a different desk and started 
practicing architecture. And I joke that I think I may have been for a period there, the highest paid intern architect in the country because I was a registered structural engineer <laughs> and I switched and they didn't cut my pay um, to what ar architectural interns were being paid at that time. So lots of uh, moves over the years, uh, lots of water under the bridge. And uh, now, as you said, executive director for all of our architecture. And I'm located in Austin at this time. Um, in 2003, just a little bit of the AIA story saga, um, I was a president of our small chapter at that time. I was living in West Texas in Midland and um, the, the Texas Society of Architects president was Jeff Potter, who later would become national president of AIA. Yeah. And he, when he was president of the Texas Society of Architects, tapped me on the shoulder and asked me if I would serve on a state committee to help resolve the conflict between architects and engineers in Texas. Uh, being both, uh, he thought that might be a good role for me to play. And that was my real first uh, engagement at the state level. I never really aspired to be in leadership at, in the AIA, uh, but that one thing led to another. And I eventually became president of the Texas Society of Architects in 2011. We passed legislation to resolve that conflict. Um, and my peers continue to tap me on the shoulder. Uh, you know, I think my AIA colleagues and friends continually saw things in me I didn't see in myself, which is a really interesting um, leadership lesson and life in general. Um, pay attention to the people that you respect. And they asked me to do different things. And I found myself serving at the national level and eventually became president in 20 for, for this year in 20. So last month at my conference, in Chicago, again, <laughs> Yes, uh, I was privileged to sit on the stage and ask former President Barack Obama about wanting to be an architect when he was a kid. So there's this, this grand full arc there for me. Um, I got him to sign that index card with that question on it after our interview. Oh, yeah. And the uh, design curator for the Smithsonian uh, Museum has contacted me about would I be willing to donate that card to the museum? So it's just a, that's a long ways from Seymour, Texas. That's have you made girl. a decision on the card? I, I have not, I've not given it to them yet, but I, um, I've just been so busy since that I have some questions for them. Like what, what's going to become of it? You know, if it's right. something that's on display, I might be interested, but I, I'm not interested if it's going to be in the archives in a drawer. Somewhere. Right. Exactly. Down in the basement somewhere. Yeah. 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 I was going to hold off my question about Barack Obama uh, and your interview, but I, I want to go, let's go straight there first. Um, I was at that, that interview. I was at the conference. Uh, first of all, I didn't, I didn't realize that the conference in, being in Chicago was so meaningful for you. Uh, what a great opportunity, first of all, for it to be in Chicago and then to be able to uh, experience and, and lead a conversation with President Barack Obama on stage in front of the national organization, um, just a, how did that feel? I mean, from a from a personal point of view, how did how did you do that? <laughs> well, it's uh, it's one of those peak experiences. You know, it's just it's hard to describe um, the amount of excitement and anticipation and um, frankly fear that I felt sure. leading up to that. You know, uh, what do you do? with a person that has led the free world <laughs> in a conversation about architecture. And, you know, I knew, um, I knew that his, his desires as a kid, as I mentioned earlier, um, had, had him considering architecture as a career pretty seriously. And um, so I know that, that I knew that was a, a, a connection point that we could really build on. And, of course, this is a man, um, you know, when I met him backstage for the first time, just a few minutes before we went out, um, just glows with charisma and personality. Yeah. It's a quiet charisma. It's not a loud charisma, but there is just this, a presence about him and a warmth and a personability and a, an intelligence. We all knew about that, a curiosity um, I'm so it just so happened my kids were able to meet him and my wife backstage oh, as well. 
And he wasn't really that interested in me at all. He wanted to talk to my kids. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, uh, as we were walking toward the stage, he, he turned to me and he said, I, I bet you're proud of those kids. And I said, I absolutely am. I couldn't be prouder. Um, my son is a journalist in, in Brooklyn now. My daughter just graduated from college and did an AmeriCorps project for a year. But uh, he he was really interested with my son, what, what, you know, what news organization he was working for. Uh, and was it real news? <laughs> so, you know, it was just a great conversation. And, and as he said that to me, we were walking to the stage. Um, I said, yes, I'm, I'm extremely proud of my kids. And I said, I have a feeling smiling at him. That's something you can relate to because uh, I knew how proud he was of yes, his daughter. Yeah. And so just, a, you know, a lot of preparation. I listened to interviews of him. I uh, read his memoirs. Um, I, I knew a great deal about him, uh, where he was coming from. I had an idea how he would answer certain questions. Uh, but this is a man that speaks in full paragraphs. Uh, and I knew it would be challenging to get the questions in that I had for him. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it as, as I uh, mentioned to you earlier before we uh, started the podcast here, uh, just a whole new appreciation for you and people like you that do this routinely. There's there's a great deal that goes on in one's mind as you're trying to think of the next question. And has he already answered this? And are we going to get to that? And we have this much time left and all of those things. And so I was really focused on trying to just be present through it. I thought I've done the preparation. I've done yeah. the work. I just want to be present for this moment and enjoy this with him. And I, I just, all my expectations were exceeded. He, the way that he, uh, I knew he knew architecture, but I was, I, I was just still surprised by the depth of his knowledge, his ability to connect with our audience. Yeah, he did that within three minutes. You yeah. know, yeah, for sure. And uh, so, just, just an extraordinary uh, experience. And when we finished, as we walked off stage, you know, that they had prepped me on all the protocol. You know, that I'm not supposed to, I'm supposed to let him lead as he walks on and off, and those kinds of things. And so I was trying to, you know, remember all those things and respect all those protocols as, as well on top of it. And uh, he wasn't having it. You know, he turned to me, put put his arm around me. He wanted to walk off together and, yeah. and just those. And as we were walking off stage, he, he turned to me and said, boy, that was really fun. I really enjoyed that. And I said, well, I'm glad you did. I did, too. It was just uh, just an extraordinary experience. And that's that's when I had him sign that card. Um, and so all the lead up to preparation and talking with his staff and his chief, you know, his chief of staff about uh, what to be aware of. And, you know, there was nothing that he vetoed in terms of subject areas, except he said, I don't want to talk about my predecessor, my the successors as president. And I don't want to talk about my family, you know, the, the, the personal stuff. And so yeah. we respected that. Of course, in the lead up to all of that. And then the day of that interview is when Roe versus Wade was overturned right. and he and Michelle had released a statement early that morning. And if, if, if the stakes couldn't, could be any higher, I'd like to know how, because for me personally, just yeah. thinking about that's not really an issue of architecture, but how can we not talk about that <laughs> when you yeah. have this person on stage? And so, we visited briefly about that before, and he's he. Th this is just an example of how prepped he was. He said, "You know, question five on your list uh, is about the biggest obstacles we're facing in the country right now. And question six is about the nature of political discourse in this country." He said, "You know, that gives me opening. I'll I'll be able to talk about that um, yeah. then, and let's just do it organically." So, I thought he did a tremendous job of not not being partisan, but not also not diluting what he feels and what he believes and how he sees the world. I, I just thought just an incredible experience. And there's, uh, there's a little footnote to that. Uh, if, if we, if you need to move on, I understand. No, not at all. Keep, keep going. Share, share uh, the story. So one, one thing just at the end, um, you talk about Chicago, of course, Chicago is big for him. You know, right. that's his, his place. And, uh, 
it's where he began his professional work as a community organizer. And, um, and so I had read all about that in, in his, uh, faith, faith of my father, his first memoir. Um, and it's just so interesting to me, um, when we were just talking after the interview, I, I was, didn't know if I should mention this to him or not, just on a very personal note, but he, he movingly shares the story of meeting his sister, Alma, his half-sister from Kenya. For the first time, they were both adults in Chicago. She flew to Chicago for the first time. And um, he, he, you know, I, I would just, I was just really moved uh, by that account uh, for a reason that will become obvious as I share my own personal story. But uh, I, I have discovered, I was adopted at birth as an infant. And so I've discovered a family in the last year, thanks to my journalist son who did the same Wow. Thing. So this past year, this past year, just last wow. summer, I discovered I had a family I knew nothing about. Um, Whoa. and, uh, my, my half sister and I have been chatting zoom. Uh, we, we found each other and have connected and, uh, that's the one part of the family that that I have really had the opportunity to to understand more. And unfortunately, my birth mother had passed away just a year before we made contact. So I just missed her. But she lives in the Chicago area, my half sister, and her name is Amy. Uh, Obama's sister is Alma. And uh, and I, because the conference was happening, uh, the timing that it happened because of COVID, we had not been able to get together. And so on the Saturday following the Friday of the interview, I met my sister for the first time in Chicago. Oh my goodness. Wow. Just as uh, Obama met his sister for the first time in Chicago. And so, you know, it's just trying to, how does that fit into all we need to accomplish? <laughs> but yeah. we had it, we had a quiet moment and I, I shared that story with him and he just lit up and he said, well, I just hope your, um, your encounter with your sister is as blessed as my just, uh, it's just been such an, an incredible experience to get adult life. And I hope that's the same for you. So it was, uh, it, it's just hard to imagine a week that could be more <laughs> extraordinary on a yep. personal level and professional. You did a fantastic job. Like I said, I was sitting in the audience. You, you looked comfortable. You looked in control. Um, excellent questions. You did a fantastic job. Um, so congratulations. Well, thank you. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being an entrepreneur architect, right? But trying to figure out our financials on our own is not one of those things. Luckily, we have FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business from building and tracking invoices, to managing online payments, to organizing expenses, and automates them with features like the digital bills and a receipt scanner, saving you up to 11 hours a week in the process. It's also super easy to get up and running. And the award-winning FreshBooks support team, they are always available to answer any questions along the way. Compare that to some of the other financial management tools out there. Try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash architect to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash architect. So what will you do with 11 more hours each week? This episode is brought to you by rcat.com. We all have that one story, that one project that had such a unique situation that it required a solution that you had rarely considered before. We share these stories in private professional circles with our friends and our colleagues, but there has never been a collection of these stories of conflict and triumph all in one place until now. Detailed is a podcast series that features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who share their insights and expertise as they highlight some of the most complex, interesting, and oddball building conditions that they have ever encountered and the ingenuity it took to solve them. Join host Sharice Lakeside, AKA CSI Kraken, a senior specifications writer 
at RDH Building Science as she uncovers lessons learned to help you navigate similar challenges that may arise in your next project. Detailed, an original podcast by ArtCat. Listen and subscribe right now at ArtCat.com slash podcast. That's ArtCat.com slash podcast. A-R-C-A-T dot com slash podcast. Detailed, every building has a story. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Let's jump into your role as national president at AIA. Um, you're speaking with thousands of small firm architects right now. Um, and I want to focus our conversation on th this community of, of uh, small firm architects. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit broad scale, you know, in terms of the big picture of, of AIA National, because this is something that I'm always interested in. And I think lots of architects may have their own thoughts about the role and the responsibility of AIA at a national level, right? I understand that chapters and state state chapters are, are have different roles, but AIA National, what is your personal thesis uh, in terms of what the role of AIA National is today in 2022? Yeah, I... I think that um, the role of AIA is really quite simple. Um, and I don't think that it is substantially changed from those original um, 13 uh, people in 1857 that gathered in New York uh, to, to form the AIA. I, I think uh, the, the primary role of AIA is to establish the relevancy of architecture and architects in society. And it's, it's not as if, um, it's not as if we have to, um, make the case, um, in, in terms of convincing people that that is true. We have to make the case just to, to show them what is abundantly clear once they, once they understand it. Um, so it's about communication. It's not about necessarily convincing in, in my opinion, but the role, the road to relevance um, is, I think there's, there's a, there's a simple formulation for me in my mind about why that's so important, because I think once, once we establish the relevancy and I maybe just to chase a rabbit for a second, you know, in my 30 some years of AIA service at every level, local, state, national now, um, I can't remember a substantive AI meeting, strategic planning or visioning meeting. I can't remember a single meeting when it hasn't come up in some form. A simple statement like, you know, society just doesn't get us. Right. They don't appreciate what we do. They don't compensate us fairly yep. for the contribution we make. So that question I think is the is the central question for AIA to answer. Why is architecture relevant to everybody's life on a daily basis? Um, and broadly from a civilization standpoint, you know, yeah. you can zoom in and zoom out at the magnitude of this question, but um, I'm interested primarily in the day-to-day -day, um, functioning of society and how important architects and architecture is. And so, once we establish the relevancy of architecture, then we can make the, the case for the value of what we do. And uh, once we establish the value of what we do, then all of us as architects can prosper in, in what, I would, what I would call the broadest sense. I, I, I do mean economically, I do mean making a good living, which Mark, that's something that you have made tremendous contributions to through this podcast and your work is thinking about the value proposition and how to make a sound business over time. And I do mean that, but I don't just mean that. I also mean how gratified we feel at the end of the day, having done what we did that day, what contributions we made to society, to knit the fabric of society, to be weavers in society, in other words. So that formulation from relevancy to value to prosperity, I, I think it's just it's just key to what we do and what we stand for. 
Now, the, the challenge, there are many challenges, but one of the challenges that we face, and I think um, as we look at our strategic plan in 2022 that uh, we launched in 2021 as AIA, central to our strategic plan is that we are going to move the needle on climate. And we are going to move the needle on equity in society. Now, the, the, um, the unwritten text there is through the built environment, through the medium in which we um, practice, um, that, that we have some agency in. And so I do get the question frequently, what, you know, maybe I understand doing my best on making buildings that are friendly to our future and to the planet, but what, what in the world do we have to do with equity? What, how is that architecture? You know, why is AIA concerned? Well, I think it goes back to the basic question of relevancy for me. We as architects, we as AIA have to connect the dots to society, to the deepest issues that we face as society and connect that back to how the built environment can have impact there. And so when I began my service as president on the board, uh, you know, one, one of the primary roles of, as president is you're a chair of the board of directors. And so our first retreat this year, uh, we spent our time uh, creating what we're calling the, our discernment device. And so there's three basic questions for issues that we choose to take on as the board of directors on behalf of our members of AIA. And there are three, those three questions are, is it aligned with our strategic plan and our basic goal? And if the answer to that is yes, the second question is, can we actually have impact on this thing? Can we actually do something about it? It may be aligned with our purpose, but it may not be something we can actually do anything about. So it has to be something we can have impact. And even if the answer to those first two questions is yes, then the third question is, is this the right time for us to be taking this on? Do we have the resources available to us? Is the bandwidth there? Is society at a point where we can actually make, make this uh, have meaning? And so um, our insistence on being focused on areas where we can actually move the needle and yet also making sure that we are in our minds addressing what society sees as the biggest challenges we face. That's how we establish relevancy. And, and by the way, you don't establish relevancy by telling people that you're relevant. You show people that you're relevant. That's right. And so I think I, that's a big lofty answer, Mark, but I think that's at the heart of what AIA is about and should be about. And there's a lot more detail there we could get sure. into if you want to press on, on questions for more detail. But that that's the central answer to that question for me. Yeah. I think relevancy and value are critical, right? That is a that is and it has always been uh, a critical uh discussion within our profession, but now more than ever, right? Because architects are here at this point because we've been here, right? <laughs> right? That that we were we we have We've been part of our society uh, as professionals for 150 years or so, or 200 years, or right. We haven't always been here, right. and now we're here. But now we're also at a time where technology uh, is is taking on some of the roles of what an architect has done traditionally. Other professions and other industries are taking on roles and responsibilities of architects, um, and I am an advocate of of saying, "Hey, wake up, profession." because there are others who are happy to take your role and your responsibility as architects. Yeah. Um, and your relevancy will go away if we as individual architects don't step up to take on that role, that take on that leadership and, and develop the innovative ideas that architects are so good at. Um, how does AIA support the individual architect in doing that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that is the work that's in front of us uh, right now. Um, I, I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of AIA right now. I'm so proud of the boldness of both saying we can have something to do about these huge overarching challenges that society face and, but, and also to be focused and not to say we're going to do, we're going to change the world in every possible way. Right. <laughs> there, right. are, there are specific ways that we're interested in doing that. 
And now the, the hard work is in helping every member architect and even, even architects that aren't members, as far as I'm concerned, helping every one of us as individuals see how we can connect to that broader arc. The reality is when you talk about these huge global challenges at this scale, none of us is sufficient. None of us can make the change that's needed, but align all of us. Right. Now, now we can make a difference together. And in that word together, I think is key to what AIA's efficacy is all about. And that, uh, that determination to be focused and not to try to be all things to all people everywhere all the time, but to be specific about what we're going to do right now to make a difference is key to us having, um, we have agency. I think we've got to, we've got to remind each other of where our agency is. So I'm, I'm fond of saying that design is our superpower. I really think the the ability to think the systems thinking, the um, design thinking that we are so um, immersed in every day on the work in the work that we do, certainly uh, is relevant and certainly is the way to design buildings, which are complex systems. Um, but it's also relevant beyond buildings as well. And in fact, in our December meeting on the board. Um, in a few months, that's going to be our central generative question is thinking about architect services beyond buildings. We think about the metaverse and we think about computer Very scientists yep. designing those virtual worlds. Yeah. Why aren't architects, we know how to design virtually. I love <laughs> Why aren't we AIA. in there? You know, so uh, these are, these are big questions. And if we're thinking at a societal level, now this is, this is the purview of AIA. This is not what we expect every practitioner to be right. doing every day in their business. We expect everybody to be doing their business. But, but I do think for AIA to be suggesting to every practitioner, small firms, big firms, middle-sized firms, the lines that you're drawing virtually right now, imbued with the imagination that, that set the built environment for years to come, is that line that you're drawing right now going to serve to bring people together, provide places where society comes together? Or is that line of serving as a barrier that's going to separate people? That's a question of equity. Right. And, and without being too grandiose here, we, we have in some measure, each of us, every time we we create a project, we move the needle one way or the other, whether we're paying attention or not. And we're just simply saying, we've all got to pay better attention. We've all got to be better at encouraging each other, showing each other best practices, celebrating when there's a real win in some way that can inspire others. Um, and so I, I think the question that you're asking, Mark, is, is the central question for our time. How can each of us understand the agency that we have? How do we connect the work that we're doing to these overarching goals. And in, in one sense, this is this not intended to be a flip answer, but in one sense, it's simply awareness. Knowing that we are moving the needle one way or another is abundantly helpful <laughs> in understanding the agency that we have. Now there's lots more we need to do, providing tools, resources, conversations like this, symposiums, conferences, you know, AIA is all about that. We're active in doing all of that uh, as we speak. Um, but simply, simply put, I think that's, that's at the center of that, of that question. Yeah. Yeah. The change won't come from AIA. The change will come from individual architects making change facilitated and supported by AIA. That's right. The, the AIA um, is an aligning um, mechanism, in my opinion. And it's a, it's a lot more than that, but it, it's a way to curate, celebrate, disseminate, um, recalibrate, you know, it, 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 it's us writ large. AIA is us. It's, it's one practitioner at a time that, that have chosen to aggregate together because we know we can do things together. We can't do alone. And so it is every one of us that, and, and it's, if, if we choose to be aligned with each other and leverage each other's efforts, we can multiply the effect of our impact. That's the whole idea. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that includes members, like you said, members, non-members, licensed, unlicensed, everybody who has been trained as an architect is part of the solution to the problems we have. That's right. Yeah, there's one there's one chapter, a smaller chapter here in Texas that watches their uh, contributions to the political action committee uh, on at the state level. And their their participation is actually over 100 percent of their members. So what that means is they go to non-members and say, hey, here's a bill for what we're doing for you. You don't have to join, but you should participate because of what AIA is doing on your behalf, advocating for our profession and for our relevancy. And it's a it's an argument that works for them in that community, which is I think is just a, a great story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know we're coming up on the end of our time together. I want to I want to ask one more question about AIA and sort of the long term vision. I love this conversation that we're having. I think you and I are very much aligned with with AIA and what the role of AIA is and the profession at large. Um, but how does that vision, that long term vision that you're talking about, stay consistent through time? Right, because your position is a one year position. There is time where you have some some lead up to that, and you will continue to have influence after you've left that seat. Um, But how does that, with such a large organization, how does the impact and the influence that they have by having this focus stay consistent from leadership to leadership? It's such a great question. And and it's a challenge for an organization like ours where the president's term is one year. And so there's a temptation for a new president to come in and say, yeah, that's great. We're going to go this direction. Right. And we've seen it. We've seen that happen. happen. Yeah. Um, And so what we try to do, so the strategic plan is five-year plan. You know, that's, that's a modulating document to help. Hopefully that builds in continuity. Um, The staff at AIA is a constant. And so that's really helpful. And this has just been remarkable to be in leadership at this time in AIA over the last four, five, six years. And there's been a lot of good work for years and years. So I don't mean to exclude people sure. that have led previously, but over the last particularly four or five years, when we were insistent on this focus and insistent on being uh, having impacts in a society, it's amazing what that's done for the morale of our staff. Our staff is now not thinking so much in departments as they are thinking how can we leverage each other's efforts on moving the needle on climate? What's communication's role in that? What's advocacy's role in that? What's our um, um, educational program's role in that? So we're aligned around these purposes. And it's, uh, I was just talking to our new CEO yesterday, Lakeisha uh, Woods. Uh, we chat every week, at least, often many more times than that. But uh, we've got a couple of positions advertised, senior level positions on staff. And it's astounding, over 100 applicants for these positions. Why? Because they've seen our strategic plan. They want to be a part of this movement. And I think that's true for volunteer leaders as well. We're we're tending to attract people that want to be engaged because of where we've said we want to go. That's not an absolute answer to your question. There's always the possibility of us chasing shiny objects or getting sidetracked on another agenda. Uh, but that's one of the big motivations I had uh, in this, creating this discernment device, which I hope Emily Grandstaff Rice, which is who's I think, you know, is coming in next year. Yeah. And Kim Dowdell is going to be following her. Um, they're of a same mind on this. I have I take a, a lot of uh, comfort in the fact that we have leaders that have been in a line in an alignment. And so that's really important. Um but so there are there are lots of things in place. There's momentum, there's forward movement, there's a trajectory that's been set. Um, but it's going to take constant vigilance and it's going to take our members saying, hey, I thought we were about this. Why are we going over here now um, to help us stay on track? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that the that the consistent vision and the continuity of leadership to leadership does, uh, you know, I and it. I don't know if it was strategic or not in terms of who's coming next, but they are very much aligned with with what you're talking about. Um, And and so that's a that's a good sign for the profession. Um, One more question about small firms specifically, because we've been talking about individual architects. So that's small firms, large firms, that's every architect, but specifically small firms. One of the things that that small firm architects often 
mention is that they feel like the AIA is a is a, a large firm organization that they don't focus as much on small firms. I I know what AIA National does and the chapters do for small firms. I know there's lots there, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to just share your thoughts specifically uh, about AIA's role for small firms. Yeah, uh, it's such a such an important um, uh, question and such an important thing for us to to consider. Um, I, I took a look at the um, the 2022 firm survey and. This is something probably your audience uh, knows really well. We have about 19,000 member-owned architecture firms in 2021. Um, over a quarter of them were sole practitioners and 60% had fewer than five employees on their payroll. So it's only about 7% of firms that have 50 or more employees and 3% with 100 or more employees. Yeah. So it's incredible uh, how much small firms, small business, is impactful um, in both directions, um, both small firms to AIA and AIA to small firms. And so, as you mentioned, there's there's a lot of uh, forums and resources available for small firms. We we get that, um, you know, the small firm exchange. Thinking about the small project design knowledge community, um, there are series in AIAU for small firms. Um, there's uh, climate and resilience uh, resources for particularly geared towards small firms. Um, I, I happen to think this um, that small firms have never been in a better position um, to have impact and to prosper. And it's primarily driven by technology. I think that's the great equalizer. And I think, in fact, um, there is opportunity, and I, I feel sure there are people in your audience that are already doing this kind of thing. I think there's opportunity for partnerships between small firms and larger firms. I agree. Where it's mutually, uh, it's a mutual mentorship. You know, there are things that large firms have in terms of resources, maybe research and, and best practices. But small firms have this nimbleness about them, the, the ability to be innovative, to be um to think differently about business practices and the way architecture gets made and what we do as architects to thrive in, in that world. And so um, I think there's all kinds of opportunity for small firms right now. And I, I would just underscore your, your basic point that AIA is here for small firms and for small firm practitioners. And there's a whole litany of resources I can send your way. I'm sure you're well aware. Um, but if there's any question about that, I'd love to talk to anybody in your audience about ways to get connected uh, to those resources. Or if there are issues you feel like we're not addressing that are particularly small firm uh, centric, I'd love to hear about that too. We, we're very much interested in, we know, we know this is a huge part of our membership. And so uh, we're doing what we can to provide resources accordingly. And if we're missing something, we certainly want to know. Is there a way that our listeners can contact you directly? Is there, you have, what's yes. the best way for us to connect with you? My email address, Mark, you've got that. Yeah. It's it's on the, um, I have an AIA email address as well that I monitor on the website. And so, um, yeah, feel free to reach out to me directly. I have members do that on a routine basis. And it's my, I, I try to get back to every single member that reaches out to me. Often they're not very happy with me. <laughs> and, and those are especially important to me to to get back to. But I, I really would love to hear anything that you're seeing that we're not addressing. Um, often the answer to that question when I get it is, did you know about these four things over here? <laughs> and often they didn't, uh, right. but the, the, I'm sure there are things we're missing and I, I would love to hear directly from you. All right, great. We will put your email on the show notes for this episode. So if you're listening and you want to connect with Dan, the, the email will be on the show notes for this episode. Just go to entrearchitect.com slash podcast, find this episode, and then just uh, click the link. Um, before we wrap up, Dan, I want to ask you the question that I ask everybody, because I'm, I'm interested in your answer to this. Um, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business? My firm, Park Hill, our, our mantra and what's central to our mission is building community. 
And so I come, I just, I say that to offer some context because my, I think my answer is driven by my ethos about where I, I'm interested in leading our firm. I would say the most important thing you can do is use your superpower for good in your community. Get involved in your community, whether that's a zoning commission, whether that's a school board position, whether that's a political position, whether it's serving on nonprofit boards, whether it's being involved in leadership in, in your kid's school, get involved in the community because what happens in my experience is that those groups in society that don't think of architects first will come to appreciate what you have to bring to the table. And you're going to be able to see things that they're dealing with that in ways that they've never saw, have never seen them. And so applying that design thinking, those design thinking superpowers to problems people would never think to call an architect about is not only helpful for whatever organization you're plugging into, it's a great uh, business move. <laughs> you'll, you'll form relationships, you'll form um, uh, partnerships, you'll form um, ways of seeing how things can be done in and through your community that will lead to business in that for you. And so I, I, I always, um, especially young architects in my firm that come to me with similar questions, I always counsel people not to get involved because they think it's going to stir up business. Get involved where you're passionate because yeah. that's where you're going to really be able to make a contribution over the long term, which is where this really counts. Uh, I think people could sniff out somebody that's there for, um, for an agenda or for personal reasons. Uh, but, don't, but don't shy away from the business that can come from uh, a, a genuine um, interest and passion uh, to make things better in your community. Uh, I think those things are perfectly um, symbiotic, can be perfectly symbiotic. And so I guess that that would be my one piece of advice, Mark, get involved in your community. I suspect knowing your work and what, uh, what you're about, that this is an audience that probably is already there. Uh, but I, I think there, there's nothing more important that comes to my mind. His name is Dan Hart. He is the Executive Vice President of Architecture um, at Park Hill, and he is the AIA National President. Uh, you can learn more about Park Hill at parkhill.com if you want to go check out their website, see the type of work that Dan does. Um, obviously, AIA.org is the, is the profession, the professional organization's website. Uh, we'll have Dan's email on the show notes. Uh, Dan, thank you for coming by here and spending some time with me. I appreciate you. I appreciate your leadership throughout all these years. Um, humble leadership, the leadership that you weren't necessarily looking for. You just kept leading and other people kept recognizing your leadership uh, all the way to the point where nationally uh, you're leading the, the AIA. So I appreciate you for um, not only leading, but saying yes <laughs> when you've been tapped on the shoulder. Uh, you have made such a great influence and impact in this profession. I am happy, very happy that you're sitting in that seat right now. Um, and I wish you the best. And I thank you for coming by here and sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. Well, Mark, what a privilege it is for me to be here with you and to, uh, to be with you in this conversation today. I, I would just mention humble leadership literally is one of our core values at Park Hill. And so that's about the highest compliment you can pay me to say, uh, that's what you see in me. Uh, that's what we strive to do and to be. And, and I think, um, I, I really think that is a key to um, having impact and having influence and um, having fun, <laughs> having, making, making a life that's meaningful. Um, and, and enriched with contribution. So um, speaking of contribution, I've, I've said this already, but I, I just so admire the contribution you're making and, and your audience is making in the work that you're doing together. So thank you for this podcast and thank you for all the work around it um, to make our profession stronger and better and more relevant. You're welcome. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. 
If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, go write a review. I would love to know what you think of this podcast and it helps other architects find us. So go do five-star rating if you like it, share, write a review, I'd love it, and share a link to this episode with a friend because that's how we've grown. That's how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects throughout the world just like you. Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT and FreshBooks for their support of this episode. I ask you to support them because they support us. And if they're supporting us, they're supporting you. So go support them. Got it? Go support our sponsors. Links to our sponsors. So you can click on those links and go right to them. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we shared today are available at the show notes for this episode at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. All the shows are there. entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows. I think there are 11 of them there now. Go there, gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And I hope you're going to join us in Austin, November 1st through November 3rd, 2022. Those are the dates for the Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting, our first ever live and in-person conference for you, the small firm architect community. Visit entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting right now to learn more. That's entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. And I will see you in Austin in November. Don't miss this. This is going to be great. entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. It's a conference for you, small firm architects. Thank you for listening today to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. 
there is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.